Welcome everyone. I'm Dr. Clay Nolley with TSAOG Orthopedics in San Antonio. Today we have a special combined podcast combining the Arthroscopy Journal podcast and the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery podcast. Today we will review two separate articles pertaining to the same subject of femoral acetabular impingement. One article will be from the Arthroscopy Journal and one article will be from JBJS and then we'll discuss each of these articles together. I'm pleased to be joined by Dr. Matthew Schmitz. Dr. Schmitz is the Chair of Orthopedic Surgery at the San Antonio Military Medical Center, the Chief of the Young Adult Hip Preservation Service, and a team physician for USA Rugby. Matt, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Clay. It's a real pleasure to be here. So as I stated, we have two articles, one article from the Arthroscopy Journal entitled Sex Differences in Patients with CAM Deformities with Femoral Acetabular Impingement, Three-Dimensional Computed Tomographic Quantification, which was published in the December 2015 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal. And then the second article is entitled Sex Differences in Clinical Outcomes Following Surgical Treatment of Femoral Acetabular Impingement, which was published in the January 2021 edition of JBJS. So we'll start by reviewing the Arthroscopy ar uh, article, which is the CT scan article, and then we'll transition in to the clinical article from JBJS. So the Arthroscopy article, again, Sex Differences in Patients with CAM Deformities Using CT Quantification, has the lead author of Adam Yankee and the senior author of Shane No. So it was published by the Rush Group. And in this particular study, it was a retrospective analysis of 69 male patients and 69 female patients who were diagnosed clinically and radiographically with impingement and then underwent FAI surgery. And they reviewed the CT scans that were performed prior to having their surgery performed. Their primary results showed that female patients had greater femoral aniversion, approximately 15.5 degrees versus 11.3 for males. But males had larger femoral head radi radii and um, larger overall cam height as well. In addition, uh, even though there were no differences in the posterior and anterior extent of cam deformities, males' cam deformities did tend to span a larger area on the clock face in general. When thinking of the clock face itself, the male cam deformities typically went all the way around to about the 343 position on the clock face versus females at the 254 position. So their final conclusions of this study showed that female cam deformities were shallower and smaller volume overall than male lesions. This is clinically relevant uh, because when evaluating basic um, radiographic par parameters, um, it's, it's useful to note that cam deformities in females may be somewhat smaller and potentially even less detectable than male deformities. So Matt, when looking at this study, first, what do you think about this study just as an overall study and, and radiographically, and then how do you think it applies to your practice? Yeah, so I think this is a great study. Uh, it's small numbers, uh, but a good study in the literature, and I think it really highlights kind of the downfall of just using two-dimensional imaging. Uh, a couple of differences, it shows that, that females have smaller cam lesions or smaller amounts of deformity, and there's some subtle differences on where that uh, deformity, that cam lesion can, can occur, and that can be easily missed with a two-dimensional radiograph. And so they, they had the benefit of having three-dimensional CTs here to really, to really quantify the volume and, and height of difference, and it, and it shows what other studies have shown in addition is that the difference in morphology between male and female patients is real, uh, and, and that can affect what is treated surgically and then what also the, the outcomes are. So, um, you know, the thing that really got me is that they showed that there was a trend when it didn't quite meet significance that there was an increase in, in femoral aniversion in the female patients, and maybe the study was a little bit underpowered, but I think that's what we're moving to is trying to really understand uh, not only just the cam lesion or pincer lesion, but how femoral torsion relates to this and the, and the differences between males and females. And so I'd, I'd love to see uh, some further work on that that I know is, is in the works now to really quantify and, and look with three-dimensional CTs how, how torsion also affects this because it's a very complex relationship. 
I think those are really salient points. Do you routinely get 3D CT scans, maybe potentially even in your female patients that you're just something doesn't you know look quite normal or you're concerned they have a, maybe a little bit more torsion or a little something looks abnormal just on the x-rays? Do you do you routinely do that or only only if something really looks abnormal and you really need to get a good quantification? So I, I do routinely do it. In full disclosure, we are, we, I'm a part of the anchor group, the hip preservation group, and we are, we are starting a new prospective registry of 800 patients where we're actually looking at this. And so getting a low-dose 3D CT is part of the requirement to entering in the study. But even before we started this project, I, I do use three-dimensional imaging on everyone because I really I use it for preoperative planning, but it really helps you look at that uh, morphology proximally and then, and then try and, and find out who is uh, maybe on the upper limits of normal of femoral torsion uh, because there's there's a bunch of us that think that that really plays in in some of the the uh, failures or or not as good outcomes and so we're studying that now with the anchor group but it is because of become part of my standard of care practice have you found in doing so have you found that evaluating those or what you found now and seeing a number of those has changed or altered your approach to uh, how aggressive or not aggressive you approach to the osteoplasty Oh yeah, it does. I mean, I think that you can you can look under fluoroscopy in the operating room, but even more important is that decision of, of taking someone to the operating room is that you can truly miss a cam lesion depending on where the leg is rotated for uh, a done lateral or lateral view. And so I think that three-dimensional uh, view really helps you indicate folks that, that have a deformity, but then also helps you kind of map it out. There's some advanced software tools from various companies. I'm not using one currently where you can really predict where that impingement occurs and it can help you map that out. That's terrific. Well, let's transition to segue into the, the clinical outcomes uh, uh, paper, and then we can kind of discuss both of them in concert. Sure. So the clinical outcomes paper, again, was entitled Sex Differences in Clinical Outcomes Following Surgical Treatment of Femoral Acetabular Impingement, again, published in the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. So Matt, if you would give us a brief background and summary of this paper, and then maybe your overall thoughts as well. Yeah, so this is this is an anchor paper. So it's 621 hips, a uh, good mix of females and, and males. It's not just hip arthroscopy. It, this is what I would consider early treatment of femoral tabular impingement. So these patients were at, at, on average, four and a half years out, but it ranged from one to nine years. So two-thirds of the patients treated were treated via hip arthroscopy. The other third were through open techniques. Uh, and what they found is that at baseline, males had uh, more of a deformity, a higher alpha angle, higher damage inside the femoral tabular joint, so increased rates of chondroplasty and microfracture on the acetabular side, increased rates of microfracture on the femoral side. Uh, and, and females, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this with related to the other article, had decreased alpha angles and, and decreased quote-unquote deformity. They found that the males had higher preoperative patient-reported outcomes across the board except for the SF12, and they, and they checked things like uh, modified Harris hip score and then some more contemporary uh, outcomes as well. So females had a lower pre-op patient-reported outcomes. They found that both groups sustained increases or improvements in their patient-reported outcomes. Uh, however, the females didn't didn't trend as high as the males. And so there's this question of the sex differences. When they did a multi-regression analysis, they found that the sex di the, the, base, the differences were not based on sex differences, but it was more of a function of what their preoperative uh, patient-reported outcomes were. So there's a discrepancy between that self-reported disability and, and what the objective uh, measurements are. So 76% of the males in the, in the group and 82% of the females reached uh, MCID, 73% uh, of the males and only 60% of the females met uh, the 
the PASS for the modified Harris HIP score, but again, that was more of a function of where they started off beforehand. So it's, it's an interesting concept that even though the males had, quote unquote, more deformity to begin with or, or higher alpha angles, increased cartilage damage, they actually had higher baseline outcome scores, and the females made a little bit bigger jump in their outcome scores, but didn't quite match up with the, what the males did. So it's, it's, it does show that there's some differences, but more based on what their preoperative levels are. Yeah, I think that's a terrific summary. I, I think that that the preoperative level evaluation is, is definitely somewhat in line, I think, with what we see with maybe some other some other things. You know, there's been a number of studies, ACL surgery, patellofemoral surgery, where we see that a similar type of trend where females as as a as a whole tend to have somewhat lower preoperative levels, but then maybe males and females both improve at similar types of rates, uh, even but but females if, if they end up lower, it may be somewhat related to having lower levels. Um, you know, I've seen some things in the FAI literature that, you know, some authors kind of postulate along those lines that that maybe preoperative symptoms of FAI may be at least somewhat more related to their mental health or, or some issues that potentially are related to mental health as much or as much or more so than disease severity. Again, kind of relating back to the what this paper showed and what the what the CT paper showed that, that in some cases they have less deformity or, or, or lower deformity. Have you seen that borne out or how, how do you think that influences this data or just the, the their outcome scores overall? I think I think it really does. I mean, it, it's been highlighted now in a number of disease processes in the musculoskeletal system that that there are differences in preoperative levels and, and preoperative function, and I think that does you know it does factor into how how good of an outcome you get. Um, you know, trying to combat that, there are folks out there that are putting folks through some behavioral health or or almost sports psychology preoperatively to try and improve that the their outlook on pain or the perceived kinesophobia that can come with with the injury and with surgery. And so I think there's there's a there's a whole area of research that could be developed around that. Um, I think the other thing is that these differences may may it, there may be a difference in some of the pathology as well. Again, this is some early um, some of the early uh, anchor patients, uh, and, and and we've gotten a lot better in, in teasing out some of the uh, instability that's associated. We know that instability affects females more than than males as well, and so again, this was before present-day techniques with capsular closure, and some of those things may be co-founders that, that need to be accounted for as well, as we know that things like instability and dysplasia affect the females uh, at a higher proportion than males, and does that factor into some, why some of their, their preoperative patient-reported outcomes are lower as well? Yeah, those are, I mean, I think those are really terrific points because I think it, it's somewhat a little bit of, I don't want to say a trap, but I guess maybe a somewhat of a, a little bit of an easier pathway to say, oh, well, I don't see a huge deformity on their modified done view and I don't see anything super abnormal. Um, you know, so maybe it's, maybe it's just uh, something related to something social or something, something super tentorial as opposed to true hip pathology and, and well, but the points you make are great. Well, maybe they have subtle instability or maybe, you know, or some of they have some of these other symptoms in, in concurrence with some pathology that maybe is, you're not seeing real well on, on your preoperative radiographic imaging, but is actually there. And so, I mean, I think those points that you make of uh, is really great because it, it truly is, you know, multifactorial. Yeah, and, and even if you think about what, what the, the, the basics of femoroacetabular impingement is, that abnormal abutment between the, the femur and the acetabulum, but it, that has to be within a physiologic range. In, in a larger deformity in a male, they may not get to that range, and so smaller deformity, but a female that has that range of motion, it can cause the same amount of symptoms, but in a different range or a different plane of range, right? And so those are all factors that we're, we're really starting to understand more. And as I talked about earlier, how torsion comes into to, uh, affect that, that, that we really didn't understand that 10 years ago. And, and I think that in, in, 
using our advanced imaging techniques is really going to help us answer some more questions moving forward. Yeah, I think that's definitely going to be helpful. So, you know, in your practice, you have a, a busy hip practice. Do, do you, when you see, when you go through some of this imaging, say, particularly in a female, knowing, knowing all of this data and, and it's not overly completely impressive, but, you know, they failed three, four, maybe even five or six months of conservative management. Um, how do you approach that? Do you say, you know, this, this is definitely something and, and I need to go in and, and look at this, even if it's not overly conclusive? Is it, are you, are you doing behavioral things or how do you counsel the patient and kind of approach that patient? Well, yeah, I think that the first step to success is getting the diagnosis correct and, and marrying up imaging abnormalities with, with what their physical exam and with what their story is telling you. We've published before on, on imaging abnormalities that can occur in asymptomatic patients, so we know just like every other joint in the body that there are, there's going to be something wrong with the, with the MRI, but does it really marry up with what the patient's symptoms are telling you? Is there pain in a flexed position uh, with the leg internally rotated? Do they also have pain in an extended position in the front of the hip? Because that, to me, makes me start worrying more than just impingement, but some instability of the hip. And, and so, I'll tell you, if someone's having pain from instability, that is not going to get better with the hip scope alone. That needs to be addressed with, excuse me, with a femoral or a femoral thermoplasty alone. That needs to be addressed as well. So really listening to the patient and what their symptoms are, and then using your, your physical exam. Uh, you know, if someone has restricted internal rotation and flexion and that reproduces their symptoms, that's a lot different than someone that just has a global ache and, and says, my whole hip hurts in both flexion and extension. So that, that I think, is really really important. Um, but I do think that, that su more subtle abnormalities on, on imaging, if, if, if their exam is consistent with impingement, that, that you do have to take into account what, what both of these articles show are differences in the anatomy uh, of these patients. Would you say that there's any specific things that you see on exam or on history that, that key you in or that, you know, that, that, that really kind of you say, this is, this is definitely something that uh, I should be watching out for because both these papers are, are pretty similar and, and showed, you know, um, uh, uh, changes in terms of the anatomy and differences in the anatomy in terms of the males and females with the increased alpha angle, increased, you know, radi radius of curvature in the males and things that you'd probably expect and, and less obvious differences in females. Um, but, you know, as we've been discussing this and talking about how maybe even some of those parameters are not perfect or not perfect with two-dimensional imaging or radiography, are there certain things, um, you know, sex, certain things that you see in presentation that are maybe differences uh, based on sex that key you in? a little bit more into some of those factors that you just discussed? Yeah. Um, you know, like if someone comes in, uh, say it's a male or female patient, but they have 35 to 40 degrees of interrotation with the hip in a flexed adducted position, and they say that's where their pain is, and you can't detect a large cam lesion that would lead to that pain, so they don't have a restriction range of motion, then I think you need to start looking down other pathways. Is it a femoral torsion problem? Um, because, you know, by simply going in and taking some bone away from the anterior neck, you may increase their their, their interrotation to 50 degrees, but is that really solving what their problem is? So, so again, looking looking what their symptoms are, looking uh, how that marries up with the imaging, and then understanding that the sim the imaging can be a little bit more subtle in the females. And I think that 3D, especially on radiographs, because you can miss a small cam lesion uh, depending on where the leg is rotated, where the radiology tech holds the leg for that that 45 or 90 degree done view, which is I use a 45 degree in my practice. And so that 3D three dimensional imaging. This can be done through CT, and there's a lot of good MRI techniques as well that can kind of, with axial cuts down the femoral neck, that can help you pick, out, pick up some of the subtle uh, cam deformities. 
Yeah, those are great points. Uh, you know, hip arthroscopy and, and treatment of FAI and impingement type of symptoms has really kind of come a long way in, in the last even just five to 10 years. And, and certainly, you know, studies like both of these, I think, I think help that. And you touched on it a little bit earlier with some more advanced imaging. Where, where do you think kind of the, the research is going? And, and obviously you're part of the anchor group. And so you're, you're pretty well clued into that. So kind of tell us where, where is the research going that's going to help us get even better at, you know, being at diagnostically assessing this and uh, preoperatively and, and getting better at understanding these sex differences and how they're going to for sure affect uh, clinical and, and surgical outcomes. Yep, I, I think that the torsional aspect, the, the 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 using 3D imaging is going to be a big part of it. Trying to detect uh, subtle cartilage abnormalities preoperatively, we know that 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 MRI isn't the best at that. Um, and I tell all my patients that you know I can look at I can look with an with an arthroscopy at your hip, and we don't have a great cure for some of that debonding uh, that goes on. That that in in my opinion leads to some of the persistent. You know, we look at most of the literature; they improve, but we're not taking pain scores from six to zero. We're taking pain scores from six down to two to one or two or three and and does that cartilage abnormality that we don't have a great cure for it is that factor in so I think that the, the two the two realms are, are better understanding uh, the anatomy and and how it factors in and, and the differences between um, between the sexes and then also trying to be better at predicting uh, what cartilage damage exists um, through various techniques to, to give our patients a, a reliable um, opinion of what their outcome is going to be yeah, those are that's terrific. You brought up one more point that uh, that I found interesting in the JBGS uh, clinical outcomes article, and you mentioned it uh, in in your summary earlier about the the cartilage delamination or the cartilage defects and some of the um, wear was greater in the males, even though their clinical outcomes didn't necessarily reflect that or didn't didn't necessarily show major differences. Has, has that been your experience in your practice that you see? Uh, more more articular cartilage, more labral damage, more intraarticular damage, generally speaking, in males than females, but no real difference in how that affects their overall clinical outcome? Yeah, I'd say it's related more to the size of the cam lesion, and that goes along with what 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 uh, both arthroscopy paper and this paper uh, in JBGS showed is that 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 are, that cam lesion is bigger in males, and it seems to be that that the bigger the cam lesion, the more intraarticular damage there is. Uh, but I do agree that both of the both that the patients do improve uh, despite that. Uh, and so I think that if you can catch it within time, I think that if you leave it untreated, that continues to progress, and that's where you go past the point of actually being able uh, for preservation. But I, but I do agree with that, and, and it, but it seems to be more associated with the size of the, of the cam lesion, which also seems to be associated with, with the sex of the patient as well. Definitely. That makes sense. I think it's, it's interesting, you know, when you peruse the literature, uh, when you look at some of the more, the hip preservation type of stuff and cartilage restoration type of things, um, it, generally speaking, it seems like being able to alter some of that anatomy, you know, if you alter either the pincer or the cam lesion, but in particular, those patients that have a really big cam lesion seem to have pretty good clinical outcome scores after that, even if they have uh, chondral or labral pathology um, without having to do sometimes major, major type of reconstructive or preservation procedures, uh, whereas in some of the other lower extremity joints like the knee in particular and even the ankle to some degree, once they have some of that more significant articular pathology, uh, it, can, it can be hard even just with an osteotomy or even with a, a minor procedure to, to make that a lot better without a major cartilage preservation procedure. So do you think just even altering the anatomy with, with your femoroplasty um, makes that big of a difference even if there's already intraarticular pathology that may or may not be fixable? 
I do think so. I think that there's going to be some, some data coming out from the anchor group looking at that question, looking at the patients that have undergone microfracture and showing that they do relatively well. And so I think that there, there is something about changing the, the mechanics of that hip uh, to uh, stop or prevent progression of that cartilage damage seems to um, improve the patient's, patient's overall long-term outcomes. Absolutely. That's terrific. Well, any any other uh, summary thoughts uh, between these two articles or just going forward uh, in relation to FAI and where we're at, Matt? Yeah, I think that these articles show that there's still a lot to learn, and, and I'm thankful that there's groups like Dr. No's group in Chicago uh, and the Anchor Group, which is a, it's a big collaboration between institutions that are, are setting out to try and answer some of these questions with real, real hypothesis-driven research. Because I, I really think that we are still in the infancy of understanding some of the concepts and, and, more importantly, how we can better affect our patients' outcomes when it comes to hip impingement. Those are terrific points. So both these articles can be found online. Uh, the arthroscopy article was published in the December 2015 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal, and it was entitled Sex Differences in Patients with CAM Deformities with Femoroacetabular Impingement, 3D CT Quantification. And the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery article was entitled Sex Differences in Clinical Outcomes Following Surgical Treatment of Femoroacetabular Impingement, again published in JBJS in January 2021. Matt, thanks you very much for joining me on this combined podcast. Thanks, Clay. It's been my pleasure to be here. That concludes this edition of the podcast. Please listen on either of your podcast's device for either Arthroscopy Journal or JBJS. And as always, if you enjoy the podcast, please be sure to give us both a five-star review on your podcast device. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association of North America or the Arthroscopy Journal. Mm-hmm.